You're going to need a Bible today, so if anybody needs a Bible, slip up your hand and Pete will deliver one for you. Anybody need a Bible? Okay, good. Everybody's got the word. So we spent a number of weeks on Luke chapter 9, our previous memory verse. Let's see if you can say it. <laughs> Luke 9, 23 to 25. And he said to all, this is where you're supposed to say it with me. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. For, for, yeah. for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Luke nine twenty three to 25. And we saw that this is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience the life that Jesus has for us. And we oftentimes... Read it as a command, as if God is pointing his finger at us. But we spend a lot of time talking about how Jesus gives us that invitation. In order to do that, we have to be walking in step with him. We have to be following. So um, take, uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily and following him. So I want to return to a concept that we were talking about earlier in the year. And that is about what it really means to follow Jesus. In, um, so I put in your outline uh, some of the review truths that we had looked at over a number of weeks back in, it was before Easter, so February, March. We, we recognized that follow me, the Jesus command, follow me, that he made to, to his followers and all of us, follow me, is the, in, the invitation. It's what Christian life is all about. It's what Christianity was meant to be. It's about this relationship that he offers to us. To join Jesus, not just so that he makes life better, but to be doing what he's doing. To be on mission with him. In the context of relationship with God, relationship with one another. And then we went on to, to dig deeper to see that it's to, to accept is to go into training. And what training is, is being with Jesus. Following what he wants us to do. To become like Jesus and obeying what he tells us. We saw that following Jesus requires intentional time with Jesus, both alone and alongside others who are a part of his entourage. So you can't become like Jesus. You can't even know what he wants unless you're spending time with him. And you have to do it alone, but we also do it together. Following Jesus is a together lifestyle. We spent a, a week talking about that, that we see it as individualistic, when in reality, it is corporate. It's much more us together. And that's why Jesus says, gather in his name. And his presence is powerful. We also saw that following Jesus means moving into deep relationship with him by making decisions to, re and, and that's really repenting. Making decisions to go his way instead of our way by ex having experiences with him so that we see who he is and what he does. And then conversations. 
with him. Um, and then we, we talked about how he reveals himself through those kinds of experiences, but then he explains what those experiences mean by having conversations with us. So if you miss any of those messages, they're on our website, they're on the YouTube channel, they're, we have CDs out here, and I would encourage you to review those. Because now we want to build on all of that to talk about the essential experience of having a conversational relationship with Jesus. We talk a lot about surrender, listen, and obey. That's really about a conversational relationship from 24-7. We talk about walking in step with the Holy Spirit. That's having a conversational relationship with Him. We talk about knees and nudges. That's, that's having a conversational relationship with Him. And there's there's a lie that the enemy tries to, pro there are, there's a lot of lies that have to do with this because he, he, the enemy wants to keep us out of this intimacy with him, the, out of this alignment with him. And so there, you have lies like, you know, God's far off and, and he just kind of spun the world into place and now we just have to figure it out on our own. Or, um, you know, so many different lies that, that try to keep us at a distance when what Jesus shows, showed us when he came is that God wants to be with us in intimacy. And then when the Holy Spirit was given to us, he lives within us so that there's this constant relationship. In any, in any relationship, if it's to be strong, there has to be constant conversation in the context of relationship. So let's, that's where, where we're headed now. What you have in your hand then with the sermon outline is actually what I believe God has given to us for a series of messages. But I didn't know how far we'd get today, so I just gave them all to you. So we'll see how this works out. There's a concept that you often hear people, or our phrase, called connecting the dots. We've got to connect the dots. And in fact, at Friday Learning uh, Community, we, Mike brought that up. But just so you know, I've had this sermon title for weeks, and so <laughs> Mike just confirmed it. And so I, I got to thinking, I wonder, where does that come from? What is the origin of that phrase, connecting the dots? Because you hear a lot of people, uh, at least I do, well, we got to connect the dots. I'm connect the dots. And so I looked it up. Um, and the definition is to complete, to attempt to complete a puzzle in which dots on a paper must be connected in a specific order so that the joining lines form a picture. And so I read that, and I, and I, oh, okay, that's, but then as Mike and I were talking after Learning Community on Friday, he says, don't you remember those, you know, like Highlights Magazine or worksheets where they would have these dots that if you connect them, they would form a picture. And I had completely forgotten that. I, I had this definition in my notes, but I had completely forgotten that. You have to connect the dots in the order that, and, and so they'll go 1 to 50 or 1 to 60 or however many dots that are on the page, and, and you get this picture. Suddenly the picture forms. You had dots, but you had to connect the dots. And, and you had to be given the order in which to connect the dots. A number of weeks ago on a Sunday evening, when my mom was still here, 
Um, one of our kids tried to FaceTime with Sheila, and uh, she, when she, she tried to connect, when she pushed the phone to connect, it wouldn't connect. So we used my phone, and then after we had that time with our kids and our grandkids, um, Sheila tried to use her phone for something else, and she said, my phone's not working. Like any good husband, I said, oh, bring it here. I'll, I'll fix it for you. <laughs> so I looked at it, and I, I tried to hit the icons on the phone, and nothing would happen. I tried to go to the settings, and I couldn't get the settings to open. I tried to push the power button, and it to no avail. I, I plugged it into the computer, you know, the way that you back it up on, on your computer, and, and nothing would happen. So I went online, because Google has all the answers, right? <laughs> I went online to discover these instructions. If you need to do a hard reset on your phone, hit the, the volume up button, the volume down button quickly, and then hold the power button, and then that will do a hard reset. And Susan's going, I can't even use a phone. I don't know how, what you're talking about. So I thought, well, that's pretty simple. I mean, I could do that. So I hit the volume button and it made it go all the way to the top quickly and then hit the volume down and made it come all the way down quickly. And then I hit the power button and it didn't work. So I tried it again and I tried it again. And so I went back on the, the site going, okay, where are the instructions to this? I need to be, and I, I read it again and I tried it again, nothing. I said, okay, we're going to, have to go to the Apple store. So next morning, we get up. And my mom, no, we, it wasn't enough just to recharge it. I tried that too. I hear whispers. I don't know if you guys know, but there's whispers that come up from over in this corner. <laughs> so we went into the Apple store, registered as you do. And pretty soon, this very nice young technician came over to me and and I explained the problem to him, and he said, well, I think you need to do a hard reset. I said, I know. <laughs> I found that out. And he smiled. He says, well, what did you do? And so I took the phone, and I hit the volume up button until it went all the way up, and very quickly hit the volume down button, very quickly until it went all the way down, and I hit the power button, and nothing happened. And he smiled at me. <laughs> And then he asked me a strange question. He said, how far did you drive to get here? <laughs> I said, 15 minutes. He said, okay, good, good. And then he took the phone and he hit the, the volume up, volume down, and power. And the screen went, and the, and the, and the screen came on to restart it. And my mouth dropped open. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, people will drive two to three hours to come for me to do that for them. I said, I thought I followed the instructions. He said, I know. <laughs> and in fact, the person who wrote the instructions thought they were communicating clearly. But the problem was when I read volume up and volume down quickly, I thought it meant you had to have it, the volume go all the way up and all the way down quickly, and all you have to do is hit the button, hit the button, and hold the button. 
I, so I had the instructions. I thought I was following the instructions. I thought I was doing everything right. But I needed someone with more knowledge who knew what I didn't know to connect the dots. And it occurred to me that there are so many times in our lives that we need the Holy Spirit who knows more than we do to connect the dots of our lives. We can be trying all we want. We can, be think, we can think we're following the right dis, the instructions. But we need somebody to take the instructions that we have in the Word of God and say, this is what it really means. I had the instructions. I had the correct instructions. Volume up, volume down, power button. But I didn't know. I just I couldn't connect the dots. I needed someone to show me that it was different than I thought I understood. Sometimes you need someone who knows what you don't know to connect the dots. Sometimes you need the Holy Spirit telling you what you don't know in order to connect the dots. So one of the key reasons to live in a conversational relationship with God is because that's how we live, that we need that information. We need to hear what he has to say to us. We need his instructions because there are things, when it comes to spiritual things, there are things that only he can connect the dots on. We are not able, in our best understanding, in our best trying to read the scripture, trying to understand the scripture, if the Holy Spirit doesn't energize it and open it up to reveal, we don't get it. In this upside down world, there's the tendency or the default to think, well, I, I just need to, we just need to put our best minds together and we can figure things out. But in the right side of kingdom of God, there are things that only can be revealed by God. And he loves to do it. He loves to do it. He invites us to do it. But the devil tries to keep us away from that conversational relationship where we can experience all that he has for us. So I want to go to a scripture in Luke chapter 24. If you open your Bibles there. Luke chapter 24. And I thought we were going to look at this the week after Easter. But I sense God wanted us to really dig into Luke chapter 9 for a while. So we're coming back to this. And it's been in my mind for a month or so, maybe more. Um, and so there's, a, there's just a whole lot in this account that will lead us to allow the Holy Spirit to connect the dots. It's still, so we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24 where it's still resurrection day. Um, this account follows on the heels of the women going to the tomb and discovering that Jesus is not there, having the experience with the angels, and then the two disciples running to the tomb and looking inside, and then we pick up this story. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. That very day, resurrection day, two of them, two of Jesus' disciples, not the original 12, but two of his followers, we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And while they were talking with each other about all these things that happened, 
And, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were, <clears throat> they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see him. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ, the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near, near to the village, to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, and this is one of my favorite parts. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? But we're going to have to wait a week or two to get to that. While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, the original disciples minus Judas, and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Relational conversation is what God desires. It's why he sent his presence to live within us at Pentecost. Now no longer distant from us, living in us and with us constantly so that he can connect the dots, so that he can reveal himself to us. But it requires us to be in conversation with him. So let's talk about it. And like I say, I don't know how many of these we'll get through, but <clears throat> we'll keep chipping away at it until we get it done. Number one, as life goes on, Jesus is near. <coughs> Excuse me. As life goes on, Jesus is near. Think about what these two followers had been through just in the, the previous few days. They weren't a part of the original 11, but Jesus, the original 12, but Jesus had 
a lot of other followers. And these two evidently were, were dedicated followers. They were with the crowds, and, and so they, they knew what was going on. And so it's resurrection day. So the previous days they had watched Jesus ride in the previous week or so, they had watched Jesus ride into Jerusalem and saw all the crowds hailing him as king. And then a few days later, they had watched as Jesus was arrested, taken before Pilate and Herod, and then beaten, and then taken to the crucifixion and hanging there for hours, and then dying. The emotions had been all over the map, and, and they were and now they, with Jesus' death and, and this darkness that, that came upon them, because now the one that they believed who was going to be the savior of the world had died, and they couldn't make sense of that. And their hearts were breaking. They were probably fearful maybe of, of being arrested as well. But life was, had somehow, that life had gone on. We don't know why they were traveling. We know most of the other disciples of Jesus were back in Jerusalem. But these two, for some reason, were on the road because regardless of what happens in your life, life goes on. Verse, look at verses 13 and 14 again. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Have you ever noticed that the world doesn't stop when things go wrong in life? Have you ever had the experience where you experience the death of, of someone you dearly loved, and when you're overwhelmed by that, and it, and it feels like your life has come to a screeching halt, life continues on around you. The, the people at your job are still working, the people in your school are still going to school, the people in your neighborhood are still doing what they do, and life doesn't stop. And, what, and so it just caught my attention as I, I was studying this passage that when life, life goes on, but Jesus is still near. No matter what you're going through, and so you go through times when you lose a loved one and, and you're overwhelmed by sadness, and Jesus is near. Oh, and then there's celebrations. A baby comes into this world or um, something exciting happens, a graduation or a wedding, and Jesus is near. Jesus is near. When we think about conversational relationship, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is always near. Now, when I, I say that in, in, in some places, people go, yeah, 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 we know God's present everywhere. He's all pre- omnipresent. You know, that's one of his characteristics. He's ever- no, it's not just that he's present. It's that he's near. There's a difference. And the difference is, are we allowing him to do what he wants to do? Life doesn't stop for tragedy, and it doesn't stop for celebration. And right in the middle of all that's going on in our lives, God wants to be near. The Old Testament tells us that he's, it highlights that he's near to the brokenhearted. And, and I don't think it means that he's closer in proximity. It just means that his heart goes out to us when we're brokenhearted, when we're struggling, when we're sad, when, when we're 
when we're, we're just feeling unmoored from things, He wants to grasp us. He wants to come close to us. Right in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, Jesus is near. These two are walking along. Life going on. But Jesus is near. A small child has a horrible nightmare. And even before the child makes a sound, her, uh, her mom's eyes pop open with an awareness that something is wrong. She throws off the covers without even turning on the light, rushes to the child's room just as that child is about to let loose with a blood-curdling scream. But in that moment, the little girl feels a weight on her bed and arms reaching around her. And the mom says, I'm here now. You don't have to be afraid. I'm here now. If a mom can sense a problem with a child before the child even has a, has a, a, a chance to respond, how much more the God of the universe can be near to us? Amen. He's there. Whenever you're feeling sad, whenever you're feeling fearful, whenever you're going through difficult things, whenever you don't know how to connect the dots, Jesus is near. Life goes on, but Jesus is near. The second thing that popped out to me was that God is the reacher. God is the reacher. And every time I typed reacher into my notes, you know how in Word it has those squiggles underneath it when they try to say, that's not a word, it's not a word, it's not a word. Herb, it's not a word. And I go, I'm making it a word. Just add it to your dictionary. God is the reacher. Look at verse 15. While they were talking, while they were talking, while they were on the road, at, while life was going on, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The word that is used there in the Greek suggests that there's this lively discussion going on between them. Um, that maybe one of them was inclined to believe, the other one was, was not, and there's kind of this heated argument going on as they, try, as they talk about it because it's preoccupying their lives. Life is going on, they're going to Emmaus for some reason, but what's preoccupying their life is this thing that has happened. Now, that's what happens in life, isn't it? Life goes on, but there's stuff that preoccupies us, and we're not quite sure what to how to make sense of everything. We don't know how to connect the dots. So write, write, this, write this down. God is the reach. So under that point, number two, God is the reacher. In the context of life, he reaches to us. It's in the context of life that he's reaching to us. And so as these two are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, it's in the context of life that Jesus reaches toward them as they're walking. And so the picture is they're walking along and, and suddenly someone is hiking a little bit faster and just kind of appears behind them and then gets into step with them. I don't know that Jesus really was sneaking up on them, but he kind of was because he just appears behind them as a fellow traveler. One of the uh, commentators said, the use of the, the word here is very beautiful. It, it, 
Jesus drew near while they were absorbed in their talk. Jesus came near while they were, they were overwhelmed by what they were dealing with. Jesus drew near. He's the reacher. He's the instigator. And then suddenly they notice that he's there. But he was already there. God is the one who reaches toward us. God is the instigator. God is the one who takes the initiative. God is the one who gives us the desire and the faith to understand. God is the one who instigates. God is the one who reaches toward us. One of the, I don't know if it's, it's demonic or if it's just our default or what it is, but we have this idea that we have to take some action to get God to join us. Don't we? I, I mean, back when I was in college, there was this big, I was in Houston, Texas, and I don't know if it was nationwide or just locally, but they, there was this thing called I Found It campaign. Did you have that up here? And there billboards and all this stuff. And it was about I found God. I found it. I found the relationship with God. And since that time, I've, I've thought about that campaign a lot thinking, that's pretty arrogant. Because the truth is, we don't find God, do we? He finds us. And, then, and we're very much like these two on the Emmaus Road. We're walking along and suddenly he appears and we, we think, oh, well, we found this fellow traveler. No, God has been with us and he's the one reaching. He's the one taking the initiative. He shows up us when we're, when we're not expecting him. He shows up if we'll just pay attention. Because he's the one that takes the initiative. After resurrection and before the ascension, Jesus, in those 40 days before he, he goes back to the Father, with other people. And so, the, you know, at the tomb, with, you know, Jesus shows up. When the disciples are gathered, and the, the, you know, the original disciples and a few more were gathered there in a locked door, he shows up. As these two are walking on the Emmaus Road, he shows up. Always taking the initiative. All, and it's not just in, with Jesus. All through the Old Testament, you see, it's God taking the initiative. So audience participation time. Can you think of accounts in the Bible where God is taking the initiative? Where God takes the initiative? What's that? Paul. So on, you're talking about the, um, the Damascus Road? Yeah. He's going along. He's going to rest. And he gets knocked to the ground. And Jesus shows up. What are you doing? What else? Moses and the burning bush. Yeah, Moses out there. He, and so that's, it's perfect. I'll walk over there and see what's happening, right? And then I discovered God was in the bush. No, it was God takes the initiative. He gets his attention. What else? What's that? I can't. Oh yeah, Thomas. Thomas, come. And he shows up. Come, come here. He doesn't wait for Thomas to say, I'm not sure. I got, I got this thing where I need to stick my finger in your hand. No, he takes the initiative. Yep. Jonah. Jonah. Yep. 
He finds Jonah. Yeah, yeah, there's so much in that story. What's that? Yeah, they brought that woman. Mm-hmm. But who arranged the circumstances for them to bring that woman to Jesus? It was God. All through the Old Testament. Adam and Eve, sin, they're hiding out. God reaches toward them. Cain, God reaches toward him. Noah, God reaches toward him. All through, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. We need to recognize that God has created so that we are supposed to be paying attention and then respond. God loves us so much. He takes the initiative. I've got all kinds of entries in my journal where I've recorded how God has taken the initiative. And it brings tears to my eyes. Because I could be on my knees at the beginning of the day and he, he says something to me. He'll connect the dots or he'll... I just, you know, I just need to experience his presence or, and he knows what I need even before I need it. Amen. And in fact, we can't even come to a relationship with Christ except that he gives us the ability to do that. In John chapter 6, verse 44, I didn't put it in your outline, but you might want to write it down. John six forty four says, no one can come to me, Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And that's why when we pray for other people, our prayer needs to be, God, draw that person who doesn't know you to yourself. Because faith is a gift, and, a requi- and faith is required for us to believe, but it's a gift that God has to give us in order to believe. No one can come to me unless the Father who draws him, or unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the only credit that we get, because God is the initiator, God is the reacher, the only credit we get is to, um, to notice and stay engaged in the conversation. So these two, they were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're walking along and suddenly they notice this stranger. At that point, they had a choice. They could ignore him, say, he's not part of us. You know, I'm just going to. Or they could invite him into the conversation. And Jesus invites himself into the conversation. Then they had the opportunity when he starts um, talking to him, talking to them, saying, you know, what are you talking about? They could have said, mind your own business. Do you ever say that to God? If you don't notice that he's talking, that's what you're saying. I mean, it wouldn't come out of our mouth, right? I mean, I'm not going to, you know, God shows up and you say, Mind your own business, God. You know that's not going to go well. There are stories in the Bible when people tried to do that. It doesn't go well. Jonah, mind your own business, God. Okay, watch what happens next. But we, w- we won't say that, but we, will, we can be so preoccupied with our lives that we don't notice when he's trying to engage. So the credit that we get is when we notice. And that's what knees and nudges are really all about. He's just starting our day saying, God, I'm giving this to you. Help me to pay attention. And then follow the nudges. The nudges when God shows up. Verse, verse 16. One, verse 15. They said, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and, and went with them. But their eyes were kept 
from recognizing him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Um, and, and so the, the grammatical construction there indicates that it was something that God did. It wasn't just that they were so overwhelmed with grief or preoccupied. It was that God kept them from recognizing who Jesus was. And so Jesus goes to all the bother of showing up and then he won't let them see who he is. You know, what is that about? Well, put yourself in their place. If you'd been through all that they had been through and then suddenly Jesus shows up and you recognize him, what happens next? You get adrenaline stupid, right? You, you know there's adrenaline stupid fit that you get. When, when you're, you get so excited or, you know, your, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate increases, all the adrenaline is going through your body so much, you can't think straight, you can't act straight, you don't know what's going on. It would just be too much, right? It would just short circuit all of our... Have you ever been so excited about something you didn't remember what you did? Or be in such an argument with somebody that you love that you don't remember what was said? Or, and then you wonder, why were we angry with each other? That's because we go adrenaline stupid. And so Jesus comes along and says, I got, I'm going to do what is the most loving thing so that they can experience all that I want for them. And so he doesn't let them see who he really is. Does God still do things by stealth? Yeah, if it serves his purpose. Because here's what we do know, is everything that he does is out of love and out of wanting what's best for us. And so everything he does is motivated by that. And so he doesn't let them recognize. And then he engages them. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? They've been fussing with each other arguing, and, and, and so they, they probably assume, well, you, we've been talking loud enough that other people heard us, so of course they're going to ask. Which brings us to number three. God uses angst, or, or you could put emotion, or God uses our discomfort. God causes our discomfort sometimes to accomplish his purpose. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. So they're, walk, they're walking along. They're walking along. Jesus comes up and joins them. They're walking and, and they're saying, you know, what is this conversation that you're having? And they stop in their tracks and they look at him. They stood still looking sad. They couldn't believe <laughs> that they, that anybody would be oblivious to what had been happening. Jesus did not immediately, and so they were, sometimes God has to leave us in our emotions in order to reveal more, in order to connect the dots with us. What, what we really would like, what we think we would really like is when we're, we're feeling sad or overwhelmed, God would just take that emotion away. Just, just take it away. I, I don't want to feel this way. 
But sometimes God leverages. Sometimes he increases it if it's for his purpose. He didn't immediately relieve their emotions, but he's going to leverage their emotions. You might want to write this down. Angst is a necessary tool of God. Angst is a necessary tool of God. Emotions, it, it goes along with pain because it's, it's an invitation. Those kinds of things are an invitation to notice that Jesus is near. Amen. If we're going along fine, if, if God just immediately takes care of our uh, you know, our hurt and our pain, our difficulty, our sad. If he immediately takes it away, we just go on with life and, and we're not paying attention. There's, there's a, a, an element of angst that causes us to be on hyper alert. And if, and if we turn that alertness to God, then we will experience him in ways we wouldn't otherwise. And so they're sad. He could, and what were they sad about? That their savior had died. Now he's standing with them. If he, if he shows himself, he takes away that. He could have taken away the sadness right away. God could take away your pain. He could take away your sadness. He could take away your emotions. He could take away your hurt. He could take away the, the, the stuff that has happened to you in the past. He could take, in a heartbeat, he could just like that. And, there, and you'll hear sometimes Christian teachers and preachers out there saying, you just need to believe and God will heal you of all that. He'll take care of all of that. But the Bible tells us so oftentimes he uses us, uses that for his deeper purposes. Because what Jesus wanted for these two is to understand the truth of what happened so that they could uh, grasp the enormity of what he did on the cross and his resurrection, and they could pass it on to other people in the future. But if he takes away the sadness and he shows up, he eliminates so much of what he wants to accomplish. And that would not be love. So you might be sitting in hurt and sadness and angst and pain and difficulty. And there's a tendency to think, Lord, where are you? If you really love me, won't you take this away from me? And what we learn from this encounter is he really does love us. And he'll get to that other part. But in his time, because he's got a purpose for it. I remember back in uh, January of 2021 when I was laying so sick with COVID and, and just spending time with God and I sensed the Spirit of God say, don't waste this. You got this fever, you're really sick. And, and, and before that, he, you know, I said, okay, am I going to die? Do I get to go heaven now? And he goes, come on, really? No, you don't get out of it that easy. I got stuff for you to do. And then it was, now don't waste this. He didn't take it away. He said in the middle, and, and during that time, there were moments, sometimes in the middle of the night, fever, couldn't sleep, um, just spending time with God. And there were moments when he was so close that I said, thank you for letting me be sick. Because there's nothing like having you near. And then it crossed my mind, you could have done this a different way, God. 
But if this is the way you choose, I'm with you. Does that make sense? It, it, it helps us grasp why God doesn't take all of our problems away. Right? Because he, he, His ways are not our ways. We live in an upside down world. In His right side up kingdom, we boast in our weakness. Right? We embrace it and we boast in it. And so God uses this angst. Verse 18. <laughs> One of them named Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor? <laughs> Are you the only one in all of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Have you ever said, God, I don't think you understand. I don't think you under, I don't, God, I don't think you grasp how, how hard this is, how painful this is, how difficult it is. God, are you, I mean, again, we don't usually say it out loud that way. We spiritualize it in some way, make it sound really holy. But that's what, what's going through our mind. And I love it because Jesus didn't, what we'll see next week is Jesus doesn't scold them. He just engages them. Because he's leading them to what he has in store and they don't have any idea. We so need the Holy Spirit to connect the dots in our lives, don't we? We wouldn't have handled it this way. But Jesus did because he knew it was best. Angst and emotions are not bad, but they feel bad. Sadness is hard. Pain is hard. Loss is hard. It's just hard. But hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. And God uses it. He leverages it to draw us toward himself. Sometimes that's how he takes initiative. It can be disappointment, frustration, <coughs> hurt, loneliness, whatever you're feeling. The key is to look to where he is. And, and so I give credit to Cleopas and his buddy because they stayed engaged. You know, they could have scolded Jesus and said, we don't, we don't want to have anything to do with you. But instead, Jesus asks another question, which leads them into experiencing him. Are you experiencing that kind of conversational relationship with God? Where it's moment by moment like that. Because the picture of these two on the Emmaus Road and Jesus showing up, that's a picture of what God wants our, our days to be like. It's to noticing He's with us, talking to Him about everything, listening for what He might have to say, paying attention to Him. That's why I think when He gave us knees and nudges, it was huge. It's so important because it gives, uh, it, it, at the beginning of the day, it gives Him permission to do whatever He wants and then it opens us to experience those nudges, those questions, those directions, those ideas, those thoughts, those interactions that he wants us to have, but we have to be paying attention. So my, my invitation for you would be to pray, Lord, help me notice. Help me notice. Would you bow your heads? <coughs> my hope is that this series of messages will give you a picture and also tools so that you can live in conversational relationship with God.
That's where the delight is. That's where the meaning is. That's where the joy is. In Galatians 5.25 says, as we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Same picture. Just walking every step in tune with Him. But how do you walk in step? Except that you're communicating. You're having this constant conversation. So in this, it's in this moment of quiet, what is it, what step can you take this week? What, what action, what application, what one thing can you do this week to live more in that conversational relationship? Lord, I pray that you would draw us in for, for each person. You would move them one step more, one habit more, one lifestyle action that they can take to experience the joy and the pleasure so that, that for each of us, as Cleopas and his buddy expressed, our souls, our hearts will burn within us, will resonate with the sense of your presence that brings the greatest joy. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.